So, on this Mother's Day, we're going to be learning from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 through 20. You can turn there in your Bibles, and as you do, I want to tell you about a time that um, I thought that I was going to try to be a handyman, a project that I tried to do in our backyard. Early last spring, we, we wanted to put up some rope lights, some of those cool Edison rope lights around our back patio area. Um, we had received the, the lights as a wedding gift, and we decided it's time to, to get them up. And one thing about me is that if I get something in my mind to do, a lot of times when it's like, okay, we're going to do it. Like, today's the day. Even if we don't have much time to do it, we're going to try to pull it off. And um, this was one of those days. We had some family members over. I had gotten it in my mind. Today's the day that we're going to put these lights up. But we didn't have very much time in that day. So instead of doing the research, instead of really considering how should I do this, I went to Ace and I bought some PVC pipes that were tall PVC pipes, um, wide enough, I thought, to, to stay in the ground and returned home. Then we dug holes where we wanted to put the PVC pipes. We put all of our weight on the pipes to try to get them deep down into the ground. And then I got up on a ladder and I like sawed a little crevice in each of the pipes so that the cable with the light could go into the crevice, put some duct tape on top of each of those so the lights would stay on. And it kind of worked. Like the lights were all up, the PVC pipes were just tilted like slightly because they're not meant to be used as poles in the ground. Um, but I was like, okay, look, I did it. But then the days and the weeks and the months went by and the lights that I used to be able to walk under were now starting to hit my hair. And then they were starting to like get eye level and then before I knew it, they were like all the way down here and the poles were like this. Um, it didn't work. Why? Because PVC pipes by themselves are not meant to be used as posts to hold strings of lights. Now you know, because I'm sure none of you knew that already. So now the pipes are down, the lights are also down, and our backyard is dark and dreary when the sun goes down. Um, but next time, I'm going to do more assessment, I'm going to do more planning, I'm going to ask for help. So if anyone knows how to do that well, you can help me. I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. Um, but that's an example of, of what can happen when we don't take time to prepare, right? When we don't take time to count the cost to make sure that we're going to do the job right. My way was faster. My way, I thought, was, was easier. But in the long run, my way did not work at all. And now our backyard is in need of restoration, what we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 2 is that God uses preparation as an important step in restoration. A lot of Asian words today. God uses preparation as an important step in restoration. See, the work that God had for Nehemiah to do was a big job. It was to restore Jerusalem, a huge job. But instead of just jumping into the work right away and, and trying to just go at it alone and figure it out, Nehemiah takes time to prepare. He takes time to assess the situation. He invites others to join him in the work that he's doing. He faces opposition, and he perseveres through that opposition, and he sees the Lord is with him every step of the way. So no matter what you came in here this morning maybe thinking about or whatever burden that, that you have that you're 
processing, I believe that God wants to speak to you through his word today. And so I invite you to, to press in, to believe that he wants to speak to you and see what he'll say. So as we pick up the story of Nehemiah, it's chapter 2 and verse 9. He has just received a bunch of favor from the Persian king Artaxerxes. He, from him, received money for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. He has a security detail from the king that is carrying him from Persia to Jerusalem. He has letters to the governors of all the different regions that he's passing through, showing that he's passing through um, with permission. And the wood that he's going to need for this whole project is being prepared as he's taking this journey. So, God's hand is on Nehemiah. God's hand is on this project that he's doing. And remarkably, God is using a foreign king to fund the project of his rebuilding of Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. Nehemiah has left the palace in Persia. He's heading back to Jerusalem. So read with me verses 9 and 10. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So as Nehemiah is on this journey, as he's, he's going with the king's letters, with the king's security, he meets these two men that are not at all excited about what he is doing. These men are glad that Jerusalem is destroyed. They're glad it's in ruins, and they wish that it would just stay that way. So when they hear that this individual is coming on his way to Jerusalem, working to to rebuild and restore the city, they make it known we are not in favor of this project. And I'm not going to get into too much detail about these two because we're going to learn way more about them as we continue through this series, through this book. But you need to know that they are the key figures of opposition in this story that God is writing. But now that we've at least met them and know their names, Listen to Nehemiah's journey, starting in verse 11. Again, this is Nehemiah writing. He says, I went to Jerusalem, and I was there for three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night, by the valley gate, to the dragon spring, and to the dung gate. What a name. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So from these verses, we learn that God uses assessment as an important step in restoration. God uses assessment as an important step in restoration. See, two weeks ago, we learned about the the spiritual realities of why Jerusalem was in ruins, why it was destroyed, why its people were in ruins exile. The destruction took place because the people of Israel had 
turned away from God. They had rejected God as their God, and they had chosen to serve other fake gods that were no gods at all. And God had warned them, if you do that, your city will be destroyed, and you will be off in exile, and that's exactly what happened. But now, after hearing the report of what happened in Jerusalem, Nehemiah is physically in Jerusalem. He decides, I'm going to go assess the situation. I'm going to see for myself what is going on here. And he goes out at night. He goes out alone. He doesn't want anyone to know that he's doing what he's doing. He's assessing the city, and only he and God know what's going on. And assessment is an important step in restoration. After all, if we don't know what the current status of something is, then we're not going to know how that we can restore it, right? Like as we speak, there are assessments being done in this building so that we know the status of the building before we purchase the building. Before we started the, the church planting process, um, Abigail and I went through an assessment process to see are we ready for the work that God has us to do. There are individuals in this congregation who are finishing up medical school who are going through assessments to see are they ready to care for the patients that they will have in a short amount of time. See, assessments are in the restoration process. Some of them just finished with their assessment. Shaker, shout out. Assessments are an important step in the restoration process, and that's a great lesson for us to learn, right? Like, yes, do assessment, but I don't want this to just be a motivational speech about assessments. Like, you don't need a motivational speech. We instead want to consider, how is Jesus a greater Nehemiah? How did Jesus do his work of assessment before he came to restore us? Nehemiah assesses Jerusalem. What about Jesus? Well, Jesus is, is God. He always has been, always will be. And after after he spoke and the world was created, he saw sin enter, right? Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. They chose sin. And God knew that he had to do something about it. So he promised then, right after Adam and Eve sinned, he, he spoke and he promised there will come a day where there will be the offspring of a woman and the, the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Jesus will come and sin will be destroyed. And that's exactly what happened, right? Jesus came from heaven to earth and he came to take care of sin and to take care of the penalty of sin. He was aware of our situation, right? He assessed humanity. Reality was he saw our brokenness. He saw those that were created in his image killing others who were created in his image, He saw outcasts being forgotten. He saw women being mistreated. He saw the brokenness of humanity. And as he assessed the current situation, he also assessed the price of restoration. Jesus knew the only way that that sin is going to be dealt with, the only people, the only way that these people are going to be restored is if the perfect blood of God is shed. The blood of Jesus had to be shed for the sins of the world, for your sin and for my sin, so that now all who trust in Jesus could be restored into relationship with God. So assessing the need 
And then knowing the cost, Jesus moves forward with the work. He knows the need is massive, the cost is extravagant, but he takes care of it all. He came, he died for our sins, he was buried, he rose from the dead so that now you and I, all who trust in Jesus, can be in restored relationship with God. We're saved by grace through faith in the work of Jesus. And now, as followers of Jesus, like because Jesus assessed that and stepped in, now we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and guess what the Holy Spirit does? Assesses our own hearts. See the areas in which we are not trusting in God. He helps us see the areas where we are not honoring God. And as he sees those areas, as he reveals those areas to us, then he steps in and he helps us. He helps us trust God. He helps us honor him. That's why David, in the Psalms, he wrote, God, search my heart. Show me if there's any wicked way in me. Because David understood what we need to understand, that it's easy for us to deceive ourselves. It's easy for us to justify sin in our own lives, but the Holy Spirit of God helps us self-assess, helps us search our hearts and show us where we're off. And so I want to ask you to take some time in your just time with the Lord and, and slow down with the Lord like David did. Do, do some assessment. See how, God, you want to do this work of restoration in me. What are the areas in my life that you want to restore? But as you ask God to assess you, I want you to remember that you could not be more loved by him than you are right now. Yes, there's sin in you. There's sin in me. But as God reveals that sin in us, he's not revealing that sin in us to condemn us and be like, how dare you? He's revealing that sin in us so that we can confess it back to him, so that we can turn from it and be healed. He loves us, and that's why it's actually a joy and a privilege to be able to confess sin to him because we're not trying to earn something from him. We're doing it from a place of having received his love. And as we do that, we experience the freedom that restoration brings. First John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, family, allow the Lord to assess your heart. Allow him to show you where you're sinning and confess that sin to him knowing he restores, he heals. It's the work that God loves to do. So God uses assessment as an important step in restoration, whether that restoration is the restoration of an entire city or it's the restoration of one individual heart. But assessment is not all that God uses as he restores. So listen to verses 16 through 18. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. But then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, 
and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. So these verses teach us that God uses invitation as an important step in restoration. See, as, we, as, as, as Nehemiah was finishing the inspection, seeing the state of Jerusalem, he had not told anyone what he was doing, but then, with the inspection complete, he goes before officials and Jews and, and nobles and the rest. Basically, he goes before anyone and everyone who will listen to him. And he does two things. He identifies the current reality for what it is. Jerusalem is in ruins, and the people of Jerusalem are in trouble. And then he invites the people who are listening to join him in the rebuilding effort. So he identifies the need, and he invites people to join him to do something about that need. And guess what? Jesus does the same thing. Luke 10 and verse 2, Jesus says to his followers, he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus sends those same people out. So what does he do? He identifies the current reality. People want to know Jesus. People want their sins forgiven. They want eternal life. The harvest is plentiful. But the problem, the laborers are few. There are not very many people who are sharing this message and then he invites the people to join him in that work. He tells them, pray, ask God to send out laborers. And then he says, God answered, go, go, be those laborers. My phone goes off every day at 10.02 a.m. To pray this same prayer after Luke 10.2. So every day as that alarm goes off, it's, it's God reminding me through my phone, like, Pray for our church. Pray for those, you, that, that are out wherever you're at, at the school, at the workplace, at the home, to, to be light, to, to share the good news of Jesus. And I pray that more people would hear and more people would believe, and then I just continue whatever I have to do. And I want to invite you to set your phone alarm and to join me in that, to pray every day at 10.02, God, would you raise up laborers to send out into the harvest that more people would know you. See, Jesus invites us into his mission alongside of him, but just like God uses Nehemiah to invite other people, so too God uses us to invite others into God's work. See, after Nehemiah talks to the people, he shares the current reality with them. This is the situation in Jerusalem. He invites them to join him in the rebuilding work. And then look again at verse 18. He says, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. That the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Nehemiah, after inviting these people to be a part, he shares the testimony, the story of what God has done to this point. He talks about the favor that he has received from King Artaxerxes, from this Persian king, he acknowledges that, that the reason he received the favor, the reason he received the funding and the, the protection is because God's hand was on him. 
He doesn't take credit for what brought him to this point. He doesn't brag about how great he is. But he boldly tells, we are here and we have all God has been good. God has been strong. And they respond and they say, well, then let's rise up and build. Let's join God then in his work. They, they see the reality. They receive the invitation. They hear testimony of God's goodness and they are left with no other option. Like, how could we not join God in the work that he's doing? How could we not be part of this work of restoration? And the same question can be asked for us. Like, God is doing a work of restoration in our midst, in this church, in this city, in this world. God is drawing people to himself, and we hear testimony of it time and time again, he's inviting people to follow him. He's saving marriages. He's healing hurts. He's, he's securing people's identities. He's bringing peace. We could stand up here for hours and share a testimony of what God's done. Each of you could come up here and share stories of what God has done in your life. And it's beautiful. But as we hear those things, as we think about those things, both things we've heard and things that we've experienced, like how could we not say yes to Jesus to join him in the work that he's continuing to do. For some people, that, that yes to Jesus is going to be, yeah, like I'll get up early and spend time with the Lord because I don't have really any other time alone. For some, that yes is saying, I'm going to open my mouth and when someone at work tells me they're struggling, I'm going to ask them if I can pray for them. For some, that, that yes means I'm going to start financially giving to the mission of God to, to show and remind my heart that like, I'm not the owner of everything that God's given me. I give because he has given to me. For some, that, that yes is showing like I'm going to forgive the people who have hurt me even though I don't really feel like they deserve forgiveness. And for some, that yes is I'm going to make the decision for the first time to bow my knee to Jesus. I'm going to turn away from sin and I'm going to trust in this Jesus because I know I need him. I know I need my sins forgiven and so I'm going to trust in him. See, I don't know what invitation God's making to your heart. Maybe it's something that you know right now. Maybe it's something that will come in the future but I want to ask you, say yes to his invitation because as you say yes, you're going to see that God uses invitation as an important step in restoration. But you also need to know that saying yes to the invitation of Jesus is going to bring opposition from those who oppose Jesus. It's how it's always been. And verse 19 says that when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, again, we hear about them, servant of Gesh and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? God uses opposition as an important step in restoration. We met Sambalot and Tobiah, and now we see that they brought their friend Geshem with them as well. These are men who are from different contexts. They have different backgrounds, but they found some common ground. Their common ground is that none of them want Jerusalem to be restored. And so they hear about this group that is forming, this, this, these people that are coming together saying, we are going to work together to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild its walls, to repair its gates. 
And these three say, well, we're going to come against them, and we're going to try to stop this work before it starts. They jeer them. They mock them. They ask them questions. They don't really care about the answer to stop the work. But this is nothing new. Because the enemy of our souls, Satan, hates God's work of restoration. The Bible tells us that, that Satan came to steal and to kill and to destroy. So that's what he's about. So wherever there is stealing and killing and destroying, Satan is there. He's all about it. That's what he loves to do, and he wants that work to continue, which is why there's no surprise that he opposes restoration. Because restoration, basically by definition, takes what was stolen and killed and destroyed and makes it whole again. And so that's what our our God restores everything that's broken. So don't be surprised if, if you face opposition for your yes to Jesus. Like people may say, well, you're too young to, to make a difference. Your, your non-traditional path is a bad idea. You're, you're too introverted. You, you can't possibly do that. Those are things that I've heard. Or maybe it'll take the form of, of thoughts. Like you theoretically know the truth, but you feel so trapped in your thoughts, that you can't take the action that you know God has called you to take. See, I don't know what form the opposition will take. It could take many, many different forms. But what I do know is that Jesus, so he knows what it is. So you can take that, those, those feelings, those thoughts, those words to him, knowing that he cares for you, knowing that he will give you endurance, he will give you faith. I can say that with confidence because he's done it for me. And he's done it for countless others too. It's why Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus has been opposed. Now we can look to him in faith. It is by looking to Jesus that we find the strength that we need. That leads us to our final verse, verse 20. Nehemiah says, I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So God uses perseverance as an important step in restoration. Even though as as Nehemiah was on the earth, Jesus had not yet been born it's basically as if he's applying Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 when he faced opposition. His response is one of humble dependence on God. He told these men that were opposing him that it would be the God of heaven who makes us prosper and that his people would continue the work. So instead of defending himself, instead of trying to prove a point, Nehemiah just allows God to be his defense. And he and his crew say, we're going to persevere. We're going to do it with all of our trust in God.
And as we close, I want to encourage you with, with this. God has given us his word. Word and every follower of Jesus, he's given us his Holy Spirit. His word is truth. His spirit solidifies the truth of God in our hearts. And Jesus told his disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And you and I are, are in a spiritual battle every day, whether we are aware of it or not. God is, is bringing restoration in us. It's what he's doing. He's bringing restoration in us, and he's bringing restoration through us to others. And he's using assessment and invitation and opposition and perseverance to do it. But the devil and the world do not like the work of restoration, and so they attack. But we need to know that we are on the winning side. Like we have the truth of God. We have the spirit of God. But if we don't know the word of God, then how are we able to fight? Like if you've never actually seen an, an, an actual Argentine peso, for example, then if someone hands you a fake Argentine peso, how are you going to know it's fake? You won't. Looks like, right? I'm afraid one of the reasons that, that we don't see God doing the amazing work of restoration in us and through us to the, the degree that we want him to do it is because the enemy has us stuck believing lies because we simply don't know the truth. So I want to encourage you, simple, open your Bible. Open your Bible consistently. We have a guide in the back, each one disciple one. It's our, our plan to just say, hey, follow this guide. Open the Bible with someone else every week. Read with them. See what God will speak to you. See, the word of God is, is living and active as we always pray, and, and God uses it to, to transform us. And truth, his word can inform our thoughts because no matter who you are, what, what job you have, what school you go to, what language you speak, if your faith is in Jesus, God is restoring you, and he wants to bring restoration to others through you. So prepare for that work. Allow God to use his word to do the assessment in your heart. Invite God to, to use your word, use his word to, to invite you into faith and invite you into his mission to give you strength when you're opposed and to help you persevere to the end every step of the way with eyes fixed on Jesus. Know that your word is truth and we thank you that, that, yes, Nehemiah prepared well for um, the work that he was going to do in Jerusalem. But Jesus, you prepared well for the work that you were going to do in us. And, and Nehemiah, yes, brought restoration to the city. But Jesus, you are bringing restoration to our hearts. You're bringing restoration to our church. And God, we, we just thank you. And we ask you to continue that work. And we ask you, God, that that as opposition comes, which we know it will, we know that it does, Lord, would you give us strength to endure? Would you give us patience to endure? Would we, Jesus, fix our eyes on you, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. Lord, you did the work. We are eternally grateful. And I pray for anyone who, who does not yet know you, who has not placed their faith in you. Jesus, I pray that today, would be the day that they say yes to you. God, that
whatever is holding them back, whatever, whatever opposition the, the enemy has put in the way of trusting in you, Jesus, I pray that it would be thrown out in this moment. God, that they would trust in you. Bring salvation, bring restoration, I pray in your name.